powerful. So we're going to pray for the Holy Spirit just to come and anoint the word today. Father, we thank you today for your anointing. God, we thank you today for your power. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that this morning, God, that you want to speak into people's lives. You want to encourage us. You want to bless us. We thank you, God, today that your word is sharper than a double-edged sword. God, I pray, get into the nitty grits of our lives. Slice off the unproductive bits, we pray, in your wonderful name. And all God's people said, amen. I want to talk to you today about breaking through fear. And, uh, you know, we've just come out of a pandemic. I do believe in the world today there is a pandemic of fear. Uh, you know, it's been uh, over the last two years, and as, you know, Australia's coming out of COVID, uh, over the last two years there's been a lot of anger, a lot of frustration, and I think a lot of the anger, the basis of that has been fear. Uh, the, the amount of world events that are happening right now, the, the insecurity, the uncertainty of what's happening all around us. When I talk to people in the streets, there is a, a pandemic of fear. But I want to encourage you this morning, as believers of Jesus, we do not need to fear what's happening in the world right now. Because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Come here, if you believe it, say amen. And so I want to talk to you today about breaking through fear. And I've titled my message today, Reframing Fear. Because the reality is, is Jesus doesn't promise us an absence of fear when we give our lives to him. But he does promise us how we can overcome fear in our lives. And there are many examples in the Old and the New Testament about men and women of God who God was asking them to do things that were beyond their natural capacity, that were dealing with fear in their own lives, but chose not to bow to that fear. I mean, look at Acts chapter 4, verse 29. I didn't give this to the guys uh, before, but I just wanted to read this, where the apostles are praying about the Holy Spirit giving them boldness. And it says, Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants. So, you know, the world is threatening these men of God. And it says, Enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaking and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God. Boldly. You know, when you feel with the Holy Spirit, it's not just about you feeling good on a Sunday morning at the altar call. Who knows that one of the outworkings of the infilling of the Holy Spirit, come on, is that the Holy Spirit gives you and I great boldness. Boldness beyond our natural capacity. Boldness to do things that other people would not dare to do. And the reality is, as the disciples were operating in the will and the purpose of God for their life, they just didn't allow this fear and this timidity to control them. They understood that God was with them. You know, when we often talk about fear, we often think about this classic passage in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6 to 7, where Paul is talking to his protege, Timothy. And he's talking to Timothy, and there's an idea here that Timothy was timid. He wasn't exactly the most boldest man around. And really, Paul's asking not to bow to that timidity. And he's saying to Timothy, he says, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power and love and a self-discipline. Church, you know, when we look at that, we often talk about what God hasn't given us. So we go, you know, God hasn't given us the spirit of timidity. And we focus on what we don't have, but we fail to realize what God has given us. Yes, God hasn't given us a spirit of timidity, 
but God has given us a victorious spirit. God has given us the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. God has given us his Holy Spirit that does not fear death, that does not fear world events. We've got to look at what God has given us. Amen? And there's this idea in the New Testament of this natural timidity that Timothy is wrestling with versus the call and the purpose of God. So I want to talk to you this morning for a few moments, not as worldly people, but as men and women of God. I think that as Christians, I think the average person has to overcome the fear of uncertainty. But us as Christians, we have a higher call, and that is to outwork the purpose of God in a season of uncertainty, not bow to the season of uncertainty, but to go beyond that where everyone is backing off, we are going to push forward in the plan and the purpose of God for our lives. And there is this sense when you read this with Timothy that there is this wrestle of timidity. I mean, think about it. Every time the Holy Spirit asks you to do something, every time you step out in faith, every time you feel this urging of the Holy Spirit, come on, who's ever experienced this? There's this sense of this drive within you to step out in faith, to be obedient, just to walk in the dream and the purpose of God. And often there's a battle between that step of faith and this sense of timidity of just staying in your seat, just holding back and just living a normal life. Can I encourage you this morning? God has not called you and I to live a normal life. I love what the Bible says in Jeremiah, where God speaks to Jeremiah. He says, if men tire you out, how can you ever run with horses? I'd be going, I didn't know I could run like a horse. Be unbelievable. No more fuel bill, praise God. God has called us to run beyond the walk of a natural human being. I remember uh, uh, just a few examples. Is I remember during COVID, there's a, a couple in our church, a professional couple, and uh, he lost his job during that season. And uh, she was working as a HR consultant very high up in her company. And she felt in that season at the same time to step away from her job. His job was quite stressful. There was a lot of pressure around it. And just felt the Holy Spirit say that season was ending, right? She wasn't timid about that choice. So she made a decision, I'm going to resign. So she comes to me and she's telling me this as kind of the excitement of the journey that God is taking her on. I'm timid for her. I'm thinking she's coming to me with a problem. So I'm going, that's terrible. Okay, okay, I'm going to help you get another job. I'm going to help you. We're going to hook you up with this person and that's another HR consultant. I started to go into fix-it mode. She goes, Matt, I don't want you to fix anything. I'm timid when she's full of faith. She goes, I don't want you to fix anything. God has spoken to me. I'm doing what the Holy Spirit has asked me to do. I mean, the first time that I ever began preaching and I just took over the, the, the young adults from Pastor Russell and Sam, and I got invited to preach at a church in Perth. It was a well-known church. It was a well-respected church. And uh, they'd asked me to come and do their youth camp. Their youth camp was kind of one of the biggest youth camps at that time. I'll be honest, I was absolutely freaking out. And, uh, you know, it was about seven, 800,000 kids, and they, they couldn't wait. And they said, we're going to have a move of God. We're going to have a move of the Holy Spirit. I'm thinking, really, are we? Oh, God, help me. So I went on a 40-day fast, began to seek, God, I want to move in the, 
prophetic gifts. I want to step out in faith. And I felt the Holy Spirit speak to me. He said, you know what you've asked for, I'm going to give to you. You're going to move in the prophetic. I said, hallelujah, fantastic, praise God, can't wait. Jumped on the plane, arrived at that, at that camp. And during the praise and worship, I said, all right, Holy Spirit, start to speak to me. Yeah, give me some words for people. The Holy Spirit said, not yet. During the announcements, as they get up to the announcements, like Pastor Mark did, like full of people. Okay, Holy Spirit, I want to move in words of prophecy. Give me a word, give me a word, give me a word. He goes, not yet. Right? As I get up to preach, please welcome Pastor Matthew. We'll get up. Woo! He's going to bring some prophetic words. It's going to be unbelievable. Can't wait. It's going to be amazing. I am freaking out. I said, oh, Holy Spirit, give me a word. I said, okay. He said, see that girl in the back? I said, yes. He said, I want you to pull her out the front. I said, what's the word? I said, I'll give you the word when she gets at the front. There's a wrestle between the timidity, this natural fear. I'll be honest, right at that point in time, I don't care about world events. I care about my own life. And in that moment, I'm freaking out. So I'm going to step out in faith. You know what? If I crash and burn, at least I had a crash. Came out the front, put my hands on her. Through the Holy Spirit, give me the word. Holy Spirit said, tell her I love her. Now, that's pretty cool. But really, I mean, you could have told me that three days ago. I just could have given everyone a word. God loves everyone, praise God. Where my hands are. Holy Spirit says, God says he loves you. I said, God, can you give me something else? Something that will blow people's minds. Like what she had for breakfast that morning. Like just other details that no one knows about. God said, no, just be obedient. Again, in that word, there was a timidity. By what I saw, not by what I couldn't see. So God says he loves you. Yeah, you can grab your seat. Right. Right, for me, it went, all meeting. I felt the meeting died. I just went, oh, right. Okay. 40 days of fasting, and all I get is I love you. At the end of the meeting, her friend came up to me. She goes, that was amazing. I said, really? <laughs> really? She goes, that's incredible. She goes, that was my friend from school, invited the first time to come to a church meeting. During praise and worship, she turned to me and she said, if your God is really real, I want to hear God say that he loves me. I felt like Benny Hinn, hallelujah. Every time we step out in faith, there is a timidity that we battle with. I'm not asking you today, and God's going to break through fear in people's lives about world events and things that are around them. But God wants us to go beyond that. To begin to operate in the faith and the miracles and the expectation about what he wants to do in our lives. And I want to give you three examples in the Old Testament and in the New Testament about these great stories about just the what fear actually does and what we can actually do to actually break through fear. The first one is in the Old Testament, and it's in Numbers 13, verse 26 to 33. So we're going to read a few passages of Scripture this morning. Come on, who loves the Word of God? Right? There's nothing about reading copious amounts of the Word of God. Word of God is all awesome, right? So Numbers 13, verse 26 to 33, it's talking about the Moses generation as they arrived in the Promised Land. And after all they had gone through, the plagues, the desert, they finally arrive at that place of promise. 
and yet they never entered because of fear. It says this in verse 26 of Numbers 13. It says, They came back to Moses and Aaron, this is the spies that went out, and the whole Israelite army at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us. It does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are very powerful. The cities are fortified and are very large. We even saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites. The Amorites lived in the hill country. And the Canaanites lived near the sea along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and he said, We should go up, take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack those people. They are stronger than what we are. They spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they explored. And they said, the land we explored devours those that are living in it. What does that even mean? Who knows when people start to say fearful things, it doesn't make sense. Right? And all the people we saw there were of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak came from Nephilim. We, listen to this. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes. Not in their eyes. We have created a perception in our own eyes and we look the same to them. So they're filled with fear. And that fear, church, is incredibly debilitating. There is a debilitating fear that you and I deal with that often makes things bigger than what they are. And the issue with that type of fear is that you actually miss the moment. You miss the opportunity. You miss what God actually wants to do. The Bible says that they gave a bad report. That word in the Hebrew literally means a slanderous report. In other words, the report was baseless. It had no value whatsoever. You know, there is a fear that you and I encounter as believers that is often a baseless fear. It has no productive value in our lives at all. I understand that there is fear in our lives and sometimes that fear actually works for us, right? Something that God has put in there as part of our emotions. But the fear that I'm talking about here is a baseless fear. It has no productive value in shifting anything in our lives. And I would say this, if you notice this, the Bible says we seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes. In other words, it was a fear that was a reflection of their lack of faith. It was a fear that was a reflection of their insecurity. It was a fear that was a reflection of the fact that they didn't believe God could actually come through. It's amazing how our own reflection often really messes us up. You know, just a few weeks ago, Frank and I had been away on holidays and 28 years of marriage and all our kids are older now. It was our first holiday without the kids. Now, I love my kids, but I love the bride of my youth. Hallelujah. So that was an opportunity for the men to go, yes, amen. Let's try that again. I love the bride of my youth. Come on, who loves the bride of your youth? Anyway, so we went away. This time, rather than hiring an apartment, we can actually get a hotel room. There's buffet breakfast every morning, long coffees, right? Mark's already there. (laughs) Anyway, so we had a hotel room and, uh, you know, there was a bathroom, ensuite, and the room itself. And there was a mirror that was attached to the door. I always found it interesting because the mirror wasn't inside the bathroom side of the door. The mirror was on the bedroom side of the door. 
And so when you close the door, you could then obviously get dressed and look at the reflection of yourself. Anyway, so we had dinner that night and went to bed early, had a few cups of tea. Uh, before I go to bed, I love to have peppermint tea, love peppermint tea, and so had a couple of those. About 2 o'clock in the morning, I woke up to go to the toilet. I forgot about the mirror at the door. As I'm walking towards the bathroom, I see a man walking towards me. Now, good-looking man, mind you. A man with great physique. But another man in our bedroom. I lost my mind. I went, ah, and the guy on the other end did the same thing. Now, when you've been married for 28 years, your wife knows you better than you know yourself. Franka pops her head up and goes, it's a mirror, you dummy, and goes straight back to sleep again. (laughs) Fear is often a reflection. And this is really what they're dealing with there. We've created that perception in our own eyes. It had no basis whatsoever. But they created something. So I get the question you have to ask yourself, was their fear justified? When you go through a fearful situation that is debilitating, was it justified? Well, let's now move to Joshua's generation. We're going through a whole generation now. So Moses' generation... They miss out. Most of them do. Joshua and Caleb, they're obviously the guys that get through and they, they arrive now with a whole new group of people. They arrive at exactly the same place that the previous generation had arrived at. And Joshua chapter 2, verse 1 to 11, it's deja vu. It's Groundhog Day. We are here again. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Same, go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. Let's do the same thing again. So they went to enter the house of the prostitute named Rahab who stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy at the land. So the king of Jericho sent them this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they've come to spy at the whole land. But the women, but the woman had taken the two men and she'd hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me and I did not know where they'd come from. At dusk when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up to them. But she'd taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of the flax she'd laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and she said to them, we now get to see what's on the other side of the wall. The previous generation, they didn't know what was on the other side. They, they, they got a bad report. But now we really get to see, well, what is on the other side of the wall? She said, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting with fear because of you. We've heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you. Notice that that is not a recent occurrence. That is from the first generation. It wasn't a new fear. It was an old fear. We've heard how the Lord has dried up the waters of the Red Sea when you came out of Egypt, what you did in Sihon and Og, the kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. 
Listen, when we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. What I find so interesting is that the Israelites were freaking out. The people on the other side of the wall were freaking out. Everyone was freaking out and everyone misperceived what God was actually doing. Behind the wall, in the place that they did not see, in the place where they did not know what was around the next corner, was no big monster, was no big issue, was no big problem. It was easier than what they realised. And church, the reality is this, we get fearful when we can't see into the future. And so our first response to uncertainty is fear. Maybe it's worse than what I expected. Maybe it's bigger than what I expected. Maybe it's too much than what I expected. Can I say this? You and I, as men and women of faith, should be experts in uncertainty. If everything was certain, listen, you wouldn't need faith. You wouldn't need faith. One day when we meet Jesus face to face, we won't need faith because we actually see him. The Bible says right now we see with veiled faces one day face to face. When God asks you to do something, you are always wondering, I don't know whether I'm on the right path. Not too sure. It's faith. It's living in the world of uncertainty. And it should not be something that should trigger fear. But it should be something that says within you, the God within me is greater than the God of this world. So I'll give you guys the scripture in Genesis. Let me read this. Genesis 8 verse 6. Noah. Oh, fantastic. Hallelujah. Noah. Right after the flood. Sends out the raven and the dove. Look what he says. After 40 days, Noah opened a window. He made in the ark, sent out a raven. It kept flying back and forth until the water dried up from the earth. Then he sent out a dove to see if the water had receded from the surface of the ground. But the dove could find nowhere to perch because there was water all over the surface of the earth. So it returned to Noah in the ark. He reached out his hand, took the dove and brought it back to himself. In the ark, he waited seven more days and again sent the dove out from the ark. When the dove returned to him in the evening, there in its beak was a freshly plucked olive leaf. Then Noah knew that the water had receded from the earth. He waited seven more days, sent the dove out again. But this night, this time it did not return to him. You know, I always found it interesting, right? I always found it strange that Noah developed a whole system to work out whether the water had receded. I mean, think about it. All you had to do was just get out of the ark, look over the side and go, is the water there or is the water not there? <laughs> Why send a dove? Why send a raven? Why send all this process? Just open your eyes, man. But you're not blind. Just have a look. If there's water, there's no water. But I realise this. It's not what is in the now that freaks you out. It's not what's in the immediate. It's what lies ahead. It's what lies beyond. It's the things that you can't see to the naked eye. How can we be assured of what lies ahead? The dove often talks about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit goes before us. The Spirit of God goes before us to the things that we can't see, to the things that we don't know, to the things that are going beyond our world. The second idea of fear, and I'll finish with this and we'll pray, is in the New Testament. It's at the birth of Jesus. 
And Joseph is told by the angel to go back to Israel. Herod is dead. And he, as he arrives back, he begins to realize that Herod's son, who's worse than Herod, is actually doing a whole bunch of horrible things. So he freaks out. Matthew chapter 2, verse 19. said, after Herod died, the, an angel of the Lord appeared to, in, to him in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel for those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, he took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Achaelius was reigning in Judea in the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. He went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. Had a dream, freaked him out. He was so fearful that he withdrew. <laughs> this is unbelievable. He withdrew to the very place that God always wanted him to arrive at. We often think when we encounter fear, we kind of go for plan B. Can you believe that God will still use your fear to direct and realign your life with the purpose of God? I have a phrase that I often use, don't fear fear. Don't allow fear to be the very thing that you think is going to derail you. Because even in Joseph's life, even when he was afraid and he was freaking out, he withdrew, not to oblivion, not to plan B, not to plan C, but he actually withdrew to the very place and purpose that God wanted him to arrive all at the same time. I think we overrate fear. I think it's one of those things that we just put so much emphasis on. But I believe the Holy Spirit today wants to put it in its rightful place. So I want to pray for you today. I want to pray for a few things. If we can have the musicians to come. Oh, by the way, tonight I'm going to preach on, at your other campus, I'm going to preach on unconventional victories. Can I just say this? If you want victory in your life, God does not give us victory like the world does. Right? You've got to understand that. When you understand the way that God gives victory, it'll completely blow your mind. Maybe today you're believing for public victory. Maybe today you're believing for private victory. Maybe there's some things that you felt defeated. I want to encourage you to come over tonight. We're going to pray for you tonight. But God does do things in an unconventional way. So we're going to talk about that tonight. But I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you for a couple of things today. Number one, maybe, tonight you're, maybe today you're facing the unknown. Maybe today there's a wall. You don't know what's on the other side of the wall. Pray today that the Holy Spirit will go before you. Maybe today there's a sickness issue and maybe it's gripped your life with fear and you don't know what the future holds. I pray for you today, the Holy Spirit will go before you. Maybe today you've, you're dealing with something, you've made it bigger than what it is. Maybe you just catastrophize a whole bunch of stuff in your life. God is just wanting to just to bring it back into its rightful place. The Bible says that the enemy walks around like a roaring lion. He actually isn't a roaring lion, but he creates a perception that is far bigger than what he actually is. Today, the Holy Spirit just wants to come and just resize that issue. Maybe today you're stuck because of fear. Maybe today, like the Israelites, you can't go forward, can't go back. Maybe there's a fear that's debilitated. We're going to pray that the Holy Spirit will just come and break that power over your life, over that area. Or maybe today you face fear and the enemy has said you've missed it because of that fear. I want to break the power of that lie in the name of Jesus. Many situations I've faced that I've been fearful. 
but God is still at his plan and God's still at his purpose and God's still at his way. Thank you.